Okay, welcome to the untitled prospect Giants farm system, Giants potential, we don't know what it's called show. Roger Munter, welcome to your untitled show podcast. Wow. Can we, do we need to crowdsource something? <laughs> we may need to do that. That might be something that needs to happen. Can our two listeners please come up with a good, uh, a good title for this? Uh, Roger writes, if you didn't know, writes uh, on the site minor, on Minor Lines, and he's on Twitter. He's got uh, all your prospect information about the Giants. He's really good at at, at just no, no bias. That's what I like about you, Roger. You're just like, <laughs> look at this. Look what I found. Look what's happening. And it's great. It's just pure information. So let's just, we're going to talk about the uh, draft, the Giants 2019 draft. We're obviously going to talk about the the farm system, either the state of it or players to talk about. We're not going to go on and on about this. We'll keep it punchy. Um, I want to say one thing. Do you feel, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much joy do you feel when you see, up oh, Joey Bart is homered again. Up oh, Elliot Ramos is homered again. Because I'm at like an 11 when those yeah. tweets come up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I am absolutely. So, I mean, the last week, uh, the the rookie league camp has started, which is where a lot of the things that Giants fans should be excited about. And you know, every day Marco Luciano is hitting a home run, and I'm like, yes, someone <laughs> give me video. What did do? Farhan said it was Christmas Day watching that, and and Alex Canario is right there with them. And I'm like, you know, all I want to do is really fly to Scottsdale and watch these games. Uh, personally, that that is very joyful to me. So Luciano is 17. Yeah, he is 17. And he's like, he had uh, three hits in his second game, and and uh, he's he's had like 10 hits. I'm I'm rounding up. <laughs> but he's rolled out of bed, and he's he's doing very well professionally right off the bat. Yeah. So I think Kylie McDaniel at Fangraph said the other day in in a in a tweet that basically he's the only 17 in the world that they have in their system as a 50 future value player which is incredibly um high for somebody who has still this far to go you know in their development that they really are looking at someone and saying you know 17 but yes he's going to be a major league player because he's got very loud tools so pretty a pretty exciting kid and it's fair to say i mean if people don't totally get the the 2080 scoring system when you're saying you're putting a 50 future value on someone it's really important to note that the ratings change over time like they evaluate them now and then they evaluate them later and it can go up or down so they're just looking at a 17 year old kid playing right now going like those skills i see these present skills as projecting as a major league down yeah, and it's, it's equally important to note that they they tend to be really conservative. Like they don't throw, you know, seventies around on people very easily, particularly not you know sixteen, seventeen. Uh, so yeah, a fifty on a seventeen-year-old, which is conservative estimate. It's it's something to be very excited about. So I think I said this last year when we talked right after the draft. You know, Bart was the number two pick Luciano was on almost all boards ranked the number two international free agent so they got the two you know one of the two highest people on both of those amateur acquisition markets and that that was a a very needed boost two of the top five amateur players in the world is probably another basically yeah Yeah, that's that's right 
Um, well, let's talk about what they did in this year's draft. Uh, 2019 sure. Hunter Bishop, number one pick outfielder out of Arizona State. And I was watching video of him during the Giants game when they – during the long stretch where they had no hits. So basically from <laughs> the fourth inning on. Um, and the sound – I know it's metal, but the, the way he hits the ball is ridiculous. What can you tell us about Hunter Bishop? Um, yes, what can you tell us about the number one pick? Number 10 so, uh, sometime recently I posted on our site, uh, um, an interview with Jim Callis, who is of course one of the great draft, uh, experts in the country. And it, what he said, I think is kind of the perfect statement about Bishop. He was the best player who could conceivably have fallen to 10. So the first thing to say about him was they got a really good value at the spot they were drafting that the board kind of broke really, really well for you. Um, and the other thing that people will just typically say about Bishop is he's a more toolsy player than most college players are um, because in high school, his track record, his he didn't hit particularly well on the showcase circuit coming out of high school, which is why he got to college in the first place, that scouts wanted to see a little more track record out of him. Um, consequently, he's coming to them from the college realm with both the track record now because he had an amazing junior season, but he still got a lot of the physical, the raw physical tools that a lot of people associate with high school players. So in that sense, they kind of got the best of both worlds in a guy with, you know, pedigree plus also real good tools. Um, what are the, he is still unsigned as we're recording this. Do you know of any reason, like any concern or I guess concerns ridiculous. There's nothing we can do, and it doesn't affect our lives. <laughs> but you know, uh, what's going on with that? Is there anything? To uh, it? So the 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 way the draft system has run since the the 2012 CBA is the they have a slot that's you know kind of a hard slot for all of the picks, uh, but the top half of the first round has a lot of padding in it. Uh, and it's designed so that you can take some of that money and use it on later picks. So I would guess that they are waiting to see exactly how much money they have because, you know, you can't go more than 5% over your total bonus pool or you get very bad penalties. So I think they're just trying to lock in what the exact dollar number they need is. Several of the people they have signed, they have signed for overslot values. So they're starting to get close to the close to the line and actually there's a there's a fan post on recovery chronicles that is doing a great job of of uh showing exactly where their number is right now but my guess is once wyatt and fitzgerald finish the college world series and they sign they'll be at a point where they're pretty locked in on what the actual numbers are and then you'll see them sign all right yeah, Logan White, he was the their second pick um, of the draft, number 51 overall. And he's sort of a first baseman with, um, I don't know, I guess Brandon Belt was sort of what, or am I confusing him with Garrett Frechette, Frechet, the other guy, the other first no, baseman? No, no, you, you were on the right. You were, right. You're on the right. He's a, a college player with heavy contact, uh, big walk totals not much power for college baseball. So that would kind of track with Brandon Belt when he was uh, in college. Um, that's that's like the good. If you want to imagine the good of, of that pick, it's like Brandon Belt, they brought him in, they kind of fixed his swing, they unlocked his power, and he went, you know, he became a great prospect. 
Uh, I've also seen him compared with uh, Brendan McKay, who's the Rays pitcher, who's a two-way player. Um, that's that's a less good uh, yes, comparison if you want to if you really want a first baseman down the line. Well, one thing is interesting about Wyatt, and, and, and so Bishop Wyatt and a whole bunch of more people, they drafted a whole lot of left-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. Like they showed no fear whatsoever. I know there are lots of people in the kind of blogosphere who say Giants should just draft all right-handed power hitters. These people showed no fear whatsoever of right field at Oracle Park. They went left-handed, left-handed, left-handed. It almost felt like they were trolling. <laughs> it, it, it almost did. It's like, I, I hope they're they're writing the blueprint for the uh, drawn-in <laughs> left field wall. It has to be that. <laughs> has to be that. <laughs> Draft it. Because, yeah, in three years' time, they'll, they'll that triples alley will be gone for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Wyatt, uh, so Wyatt Wars, I think that sounds probably better. The alliteration works <laughs> a little bit better. So that might have been a part of it. Um, I, I'll get your, th- I want your standouts, but I do want to ask you a little bit. There's Armani Smith, who's, you know, very cl- near and dear to my heart. Martinez, California is not that far from where I grew up. And, yeah. uh, and CC Sabathia, one of his favorite players. So he's a very Bay Area kid. And, uh, and I was just curious, uh, you know, you look at him one of the things that really struck me about the Giants, him, him in particular, but I guess overall it represented, we talked about this in previous podcasts, was sort of like the Giants are always like, we need a high floor. We don't, we don't <laughs> give a damn about the ceiling. Just give us a high floor. And I don't know what the floors are in these draftees this year, but they definitely all stood out as like, oh, they have some strong physical. There's Roger right. Yeah. They have some strong <laughs> physical uh, tool, whether they're just young and fast or young and kind of tall or strong. And, uh, and so I'm just wondering if like that is a new profile or if there's something about specifically with someone like Smith, if not exactly Smith, where you're like, well, it's not just that. There's also this cool thing that he did that no one else does. <laughs> I, no, no, I think you're, you're definitely onto something. They, they took a lot of people that, you know, I, I, yeah. So the, the, the classic in a way giants pick is the, the contact oriented grinder type middle infielder, you know, the Joe panics and Matt Duffy's that we all know and love. And this year they seem to be much more going after kind of risky players with one big tool. Like you say, Smith has power. There was another guy they took way later, Connor Cannon, who's also known for huge, huge power. Uh, although I guess apparently both his knees are shot, which doesn't seem like a great thing. Um, He's and, huge. Uh, they showed a video. I saw a video of him on YouTube. I'm like, this does not look like a real person. This he looks like a tank. Uh, yeah, it was ridiculous. He looked like a cannon. He just looked enormous. Um, the kid they took from Yale is is uh, really fast, so he's got kind of that Kelby Tomlinson thing going for him. And Armani Smith, of course, has a huge power. So, yeah, I think they were very much so – we're not drafting somebody unless there's a tool that's popping, you know, at 60 or something on the, on the scale. We're not taking the, 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 the grinder types here. Simon. I mean, maybe they, they might be grinders too, but they have something else to, to raise uh, the flag up the pole. Simon Whiteman, just to go back to that Yale pick. Uh, have you seen the pictures of him with the eye black? Yes. In fact, I think I put one on minor lines. It's, that's, a, that's a good look. 
I mean, he is half his way to a to a, a Marvel villain already. Right. It's he pushes it just past goth into kind <laughs> yeah. of and actually a little scary. Uh, so like actually a little. He's got a little of the Cody yeah. Ross look, right? Yeah. Gone. Didn't... It's pretty intense. There are these huge try. It's like he's kind of doing the crow a little bit, a little bit there. He is doing a little crow. He was a, apparently a, a not a road scholar, but whatever a finalist. A finalist, yes. a Rhodes Scholar finalist, which, you know, I guess he must love the game because he signed, he's a senior sign, he didn't get much money at all, and of course they're not going to pay him. Um, and you would think he could go out and do something brilliant and help the world, but he's first he's going to put on that eye black and race around the Northwest League and, and play <laughs> baseball. I think that was another part of it, at least what struck me about all these draftees was sort of and uh, there's a, a story to be told about them. The story behind, they had some interesting personal story, kind of a weird college admissions way of drafting. <laughs> sort of like they're they really strong in one area and they have an interesting personal backstory. And, uh, and I'm not sure if that's because of Zaidi's, you know, academic pedigree or anything like that, but it just seemed pretty consistent top to bottom also the giants drafted a lot of giants fans this year yeah i that was, that, that was pretty cool there's a <laughs> lot of northern california in this draft which to me actually was like i made me very happy to see because it feels like brian sabian intentionally went like would go out of his way not to <laughs> like how many times I mean, we, he's like he's we, right there you see him all the time that's right well i'm as anybody who follows me on twitter knows i'm still irritated that they didn't draft cody bellinger because they drafted his father <laughs> and i just think they should draft any kid of one of their former players sure. um <laughs> so yeah I, I i so i do wonder if sabian's thought was when it doesn't work out it gets ugly um because sometimes the guys who are Giants fans grow up and they say, okay, this is my dream. It's going to happen now. And then, you know, when it goes badly, it can go kind of ugly badly. I don't entirely know what that means, but 20, year, <laughs> 20 years of, of not that never happening and thinking it could. Well, no, we got Brandon Crawford and, <laughs> and, right, um, yeah. um, and Nate Sherholtz was a Giants fan. And um, um, shoot, why am I blanking on the, the second baseman? who is now a broadcaster, right? I am also uh, F.P. Santangelo. Yes. No, um, shoot. The guy who tore his Achilles, and he was competing against Emmanuel Burris for the second base job, and he tore his Achilles, and then he ended up in Philadelphia and with the Nats for a while. Uh, and I'm completely blanking on his name. Um, I'm completely blanking on his name, too. Oh. Oh, someone's gonna well, someone's gonna write in on this. Yep. For sure. They won't give us a name for the podcast, but they will give us that name. Uh, so who <laughs> who stood out for you in in uh, in this draft, if anyone? Maybe no one did, and you can say that. I mean, certainly Bishop. So I guess here, I, one of the questions I saw some uh, somebody wrote into you was like, after Bishop, the rest of the draft seemed lackluster, and I, I do think a point should be made that. You know, basically drafts are about getting the first pick right. You know, you think of 2008, which is one of the greatest drafts in Giants history and one of the best drafts in, in baseball of the last decade. And, you know, the third best player on that draft was Connor Gillespie. Uh, you know, you get the you get the first guy right and then maybe get a, a couple contributors and you've had a great draft. Yeah. So I, I think they got Bishop right. And then, and then the other the other part of that is the guys who are going to become 
Matt Duffy or Brandon Belt or Sergio Romo or, you know, even Kelby Tomlinson, we don't know them now. You know, we're not going to know who those guys are for a while down the line. When, because I, another thing I say a lot is, you know, it's important to have the scouting and and I and I love scouts, but a lot of what makes a good draft is what happens after they show up and start working with the development people. So I I never understood why it it didn't seem like the public push there is there is at least as important, right? Right. <laughs> right. You have to you, know, you can't you can... really separate them. No. They have to be they have to be working together in really you know, simpatico ways. There are organizations that you hear rumors of every now and then where they're not, where the scouting and development people don't really aren't on the same page, and it doesn't work very well. And the Giants, whose scouting department has been largely unchanged for decades, they seem to do that pretty well. Or at least go with the flow when there are changes to the development program. <laughs> yeah, Because right. the last few years, there's certainly been huge overhaul. But yeah, yeah, I guess we'll see going forward what happens just because – you know, one thing about Brian Sabian, he had a full year before he took over to basically get the lay of the land. Like he knew he was going to take it over essentially. Well, and he had he had run their draft exactly for, for several years, right? So so Farin has you know it's basically a Frankenstein thing of the old and and his new people and right. It's an education year in a large in a lot of ways. One thing um, I think about the draft uh, is that they also drafted players who would – because every farm system, every draft, you're hoping to hit on a f- really just a few. But the rest, like any farm system, you want to use for trades and for other flexible things. And I think yeah. the Giants, in addition to not having a major league roster that we've seen cannot compete in modern baseball, their farm system was not appealing to other teams trying to trade and develop and all that stuff. So if nothing else, they presumably got players who now fit a more modern sensibility for playing or for development and, and trades and all that. Yeah. So that, and we, we talked a little about this offline. One interesting thing is for years, the guys that they use for small pieces have been typically sort of big armed relief pitchers. Um, which even like just the other day when they traded uh, Franklin Van Gerp uh, for Dickerson, that's always been a piece that they've sort of had in their pocket, I think, that they could use for small stuff. Uh, So it was interesting to see how few pitchers that they drafted this year. And the ones they drafted were mostly, you know, not, well, the first draft, the first pitcher they took was in the eighth round. And and he's not a big, big, big arm guy. Well, just to catch everyone else up and for, in 50 years, the Giants have never drafted so few pitchers in the draft. Yeah. They've drafted yeah. 15, uh, just 15 pitchers uh, out of 40 picks. Um, and the number eight pick was, is that P- Pagan? K- no, Caleb uh, Killian, the Caleb Texas Killian. Tech guy. There we go. Um, yeah, Pagan was a little later than that. And then um, I think Trevor McDonald, the high school guy they took in the 11th round, is probably a pretty – decent prospect in this draft but yeah it was very interesting and they had said i think like the day before they'd said that pitching they thought of pitching as an organizational strength so they they were going to go hitting heavy or maybe it was the day after and i read that and i was like wow that's that's interesting i don't know that i would have sat down and and assessed their system that way but it is very interesting to me that they did assess it that way well, they brought in the driveline guy in the offseason. I'm sorry, right, I'm blanking right. on his name right now. So, um, you know, uh, 
Daniels. Daniels, but Kyle Daniels. Matt Daniels. Matt Daniels. One of the, Matt Daniels. Someone's always named Kyle, so I always take that guess. <laughs> Uh, Kyle so, Bodie is the yes, big, big guy on yeah. Uh, Matt Daniels. So, you know, he's <clears> – they're going to – like <throat> every other team, they're going to improve what they have just by teaching them differently. And, yeah. And, you know, the Giants – I think you said this. The Giants' strength in pitching has maybe always been a little oversold. But, you know, it's kind of also what you just said, which is like – but they've also had some sort of big arm with some flaws attached to it. So – yeah, they've uh, scouted big arms for you. And yeah. I, I really think I, – I, the more I've thought about this, I think their Dick Tidro really was sort of a magician, and it was when he sort of stepped away from development and went more on the major league side that things changed in their their development success with pitchers possibly. Interesting. Interesting. So, that, so that's the draft. The draft was unique. Uh, I guess not unique. It was different – from what we're used to and we have so much institutional memory as Giants fans <laughs> of what the previous group management team did because it was literally more than a generation of and of and, and most of them are still there I mean right. even John Barr was like he was out there scouting for their number one pick so yeah it's it would be it would be really interesting to know how much change over there is and how much consistency in in the way things worked like what pick had sabian throwing his razor phone <laughs> in a, outside the room in the hallway sort of yeah. did anybody throw a chair did yeah. i ever answer your question about who i liked in the draft I don't, you did I don't not know that i did, you did not. <laughs> i mean there were several people i i liked uh uh garrett frechette or frechet i actually don't know how you say his name i thought he was a really interesting pick and dylan rosario the the shortstop from puerto rico i think is interesting and tyler fitzgerald seems to me like the type of guy who could definitely turn into a major league sort of infielder and mcdonald who i mentioned earlier so there were several picks who i think you know could be could be very interesting guys as they go along all right um let's just talk about what's going on in the in the state of the current farm system because these draftees have not totally been incorporated we talked about Luciano making his big start but you know Joey Bart and Elliot Ramos both uh, kind of they missed a month basically right. with injuries and they've come back and it seems like they've been fine uh, they both were or, sorry Ramos we talked about I, I was listening to the old ones we kind of talked about how he was thrown in to the deep end and asked to swim and what happened was when they threw him into the deep end, he didn't do well, but what they were trying to see is basically would he turn into a witch slash <laughs> would he be uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or would he just be a, a, a talented baseball player playing against greater competition? And he was that, which yeah. didn't mean that he was not a, a good prospect. But now you noticed he's playing consistently against – he's kind of like repeating it again. And he's doing great. He's doing very well. <laughs> yeah, they threw him in the deep end again, and he has he has evolved in some pretty significant ways this year. And he's so young. I mean, Jared Kelenic, the the guy the that the Mets traded to Seattle, who has been really leaping up prospect charts this year, um, is in the Cal League. He got promoted to the Cal League. He got drafted the next year. He's like three months older than Ramos. He's really, really young. Hmm. Um, so it's been a pretty exciting year for him, particularly to see the power. Because I think one thing 
that was you could point to. There are a couple of things you could point to in 2018 about his season that were, you know, disconcerting. One of them was that he really didn't show his power much, and I think it was because you know he was he was trying to keep his head above water. Um, and the other was the 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 walk to strikeout ratio, and that really took a big step forward in the spring. It's been backsliding a bit lately. Uh, so that'll be something to keep an eye on later. But seeing the way he has done damage on his pitches this year has been really pretty exciting. And the way he has worked on, you know, pitch selection, pitch recognition. I think those are all really exciting steps forward for him. Um, he could, I don't know that he will necessarily, but he could get to double A this year at 19. Uh, which, which would be that's incredible. Very that's very aggressive. Ooh. Yeah, um, it, would, it would be aggressive for sure. Um, but he has legitimately been one of the best players in the Cal League for the first half of the season. That walk to strikeout, uh, just on Baseball Cube, when I'm looking at uh, 19 walks to 43 strikeouts. So basically right in that 2-1 to one range that Farhan Zaidi is basically hoping or wanting his whole system to have is at least that. Uh, last year, it was 35 walks to 136 strikeouts. <laughs> yeah, so his strikeout rate has stayed around the same area, I believe, and the and while the walk rate has maybe doubled. Is that yep, is that that's still exactly right? right? He's about yeah. he's 11.7 percent walk rate and strikeout rate's about 26 percent, um, which is up a little bit from last year. But you know, it's about what it it's about what it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, if he if he can. If he does those two things, you know, does the damage on the pitches and is able to keep the walk rate up, I don't think anyone's going to care about the strikeouts, especially since he's still a pretty gifted defensive player. That So that – because when I see videos, either you put him up or someone else does, when I'm looking at him, like, I don't see him staying an outfielder. Maybe he's, he moves to a corner, but by every account I read, I'm like, he's very fast. <laughs> you know, he's I. I don't know that he'll stay a center fielder. I think he, I think actually at San Francisco he'd make a pretty good right fielder because he has a really good arm. Um, he's not a pure burner anymore. Uh, he was definitely faster two years ago, I and mean, he's a pretty thick, muscly guy. Right, right. He has good instincts to play the game, though, and he is you know he is fast. He gets the balls well. Uh, and he he plays well on balls in the outfield, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a right fielder down the down the line. Um, Alex Canario, who's down in the AZL camp, is more of a true center fielder, I think, in, in terms of speed um, than than Ramos is. But he is he takes good routes. He gets he seems to have good instincts for the ball. Um, I look at him and I <laughs> I see a third baseman. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how you know I'm not good at this draft stuff. Um, well, I mean, he does. He's got kind of that Kirby Puckett body. That's yeah. That's he's really, got, if you want to think of a center fielder that looks like him, it's Kirby Puckett. He's surprisingly thick. Uh, yeah. Joey Joey Bart, because this is you know the system is basically a two hander. Although I am very curious to know where we'll be to uh, in September with Luciano. What we'll all be yeah. saying by then. But for now, it's this this two man race right now. Um, and I want to point one thing about Bart because he had that run and then he had the he broke his hand. Yeah. Um, but the on base percentage sort of below it's been below three hundred. Uh, I'm I'm wondering if there's anything to that or if you've heard or seen anything about his defense. 
because I'm kind of thinking, oh, low on base, but if he slugs and and frames well and you know stops the running game, like that's fine. Like that'll. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, he did, he did. He was a guy who struck out a decent amount in college. So that's that was, I guess, the question for people when he came into pro ball. Uh, I think what he showed in spring really opened a lot of people's eyes. And then up until he got hurt, I, I personally more or less give him a pass for what's happened since then. I think it's going to slow his development maybe down. I know a lot of people thought he'd be moving to Double A really fast this year. Uh, I doubt he moves to double A. If he moves to double A at all this year, it'll probably be in August. And I just think, you know, the a broken hand, you lose that hand strength, it really does kind of sap a hitter of a lot of his of a lot of his his ability to do damage and I just think that has lingering effects on him. So I'm not really all that concerned with what his stats are doing right now. All right. Um defensively, he always gets rave reviews, so I, you know, there's a lot of things for catchers to learn in the minor leagues. Uh, he's had a very strong arm. He's good at blocking. I, I, I don't have a lot of worries for him defensively. And while I do think he may ultimately, you know, turn into a guy who's a low average, high slugging kind of guy, that's that's still good at that position. So I'm not terribly worried about what his stats look like this year. All right. Um, one thing that was sort of a bummer was uh, Logan Webb being suspended for PED use. That was a huge, huge yeah. bummer. I'm a <laughs> giant Logan Webb fan, too. Logan Webb, who the Giants drafted when he was uh, – he floated down the Nile River to the Giants, and he was in a basket, and they drafted him, which was against the law, but they did it anyway. <laughs> so he's been suspended, and he's, what, missed the rest of the season, and he's only, like, 15 years old, and he's been in the system for, like, 15 years. But, you know, he was – I'm exaggerating. Vir- virtually so everything you yes. just said yes. was untrue. But go, he's, go ahead. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, what, 19, 20? Oh, 20? no. So he he's was tw- drafted out of high He was 17 when he was drafted. He's 21 in now. In 20 – 14 was he he was in the Tyler Beatty draft um and then he had TJ and he missed a year and so he's he's got to be about 23 he's 23 that's okay uh but yeah since he was in there 17 he was doing fine in Richmond before this he was doing great in Richmond before the suspension making his way back and he looked like he was gonna be a, a big guy this year so I'll I'll just walk it back a little bit here because I really do love Logan Webb as a prospect. And I do too. This was a huge bummer. <laughs> he will not miss the rest of the year, so that's an important thing okay. to start out with. He he should come back. So it was an eighty game suspension that started at the end of April, so he should be back maybe late July. And I think he's been working in in extended before the ACL started. He will almost certainly go to the Arizona Fall League this year. Um, so basically he's on the same, the same, uh, uh, arc that the, the Astros great pitching prospect Forrest Whitley had last year where he had the almost exact same thing happen. He missed 80 games, came back at the end of the year, went to the Arizona fall league. It, it is a bummer, but I do think he's a really, really good pitching prospect. And I do think he will be probably in San Francisco in 2020, um, at some point in time. I think he's probably the best of their, the power pitching prospects that they have in the system. 
Some people think he maybe will not stick as a starter long run, but, uh, you know, for one thing, who the hell even knows what starters are anymore? Uh, so <laughs> I don't know how much that matters anymore. I, he's got a great arm. He's got at least two really good pitches. He's very competitive. It's a bummer, but I'll, on the long run, I still think you'll see him in the Giants team sometime next year. Um, I mean, that was my intro into uh, we don't know, like, who is on the horizon for the pitching prospects? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I mean, Sean Anderson, who's is already here. So there are a couple of people who are already over the horizon. Um, beyond Anderson, and we'll see what BD is able to make of himself, um, which I think is always still a question. And then Suarez, who's still hanging out in Sacramento. Uh, one guy who's had a really amazing year, and, and really an amazing year last year, is a left-hander named Connor Menez, uh, Connor Menez, who was a 14th-round pick out of a place called the Masters College, yeah. which I believe is in Santa Clarita. <laughs> Um, he leads all minor leaguers in strikeouts over the last three years, I think I saw. And he, last year he, he led the system in strikeouts, but he had fairly high ERA. This year he has been once again leading the system in strikeouts, almost routinely having at least nine strikeouts per game, but he's also been limiting runs. In fact, he was just this weekend – uh, hit a career high with 12 Ks and allowed only one run in Las Vegas with the Major League ball in the Pacific Coast League, which is really hard to do. I can't really explain what he's doing because he doesn't have stuff that like pops off you know, the, the scouting chart, but he sure seems to miss a lot of bats. So he's going to get a chance for sure, and maybe this year depending on who's traded. Well, I think that's like what you said. You see Webb next, but – we don't know who the Giants are getting back in trades. Uh, that, those could be next. <laughs> That's going to be a big question is what happens next month for sure. Um, uh, after that, you have that, that San Jose group, which is, you know, Sean Jelly and Jake Wong and Jose Marte and Blake Rivera. They're all, you know, they all have some development to go. But that's probably that next wave that you can look forward to. I guess when the Giants said, we think pitching is our strength, that's kind of what they're looking at is the – that group and then the web and web and Menez and, and BD and Anderson. It seems as though that group from last year, jelly and company, they seem to have kind of carried over their promising ish starts into this year, <laughs> into this year. And they haven't like gotten worse. Like they seem like they just kind of carried over what they're doing. Um, and so that's good from a development standpoint. <laughs> like Sean Jelly's not really striking people out, which he wasn't doing much last year. Which is kind of Sean Jelly, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of his deal. Um, and by the way, if the new way of getting hitters out these days is throwing a fastball up, up, up above the letters, who better is qualified to do that than Sean Jelly? <laughs> um, <laughs> he stands eight foot five, I think he is. That's so, right. Yeah, exactly. So he's that. right over the top there. Uh, but right, that would be you say it's next wave, or that they might be thinking that. But that's sort of what's happened is, oh, they were all pretty solid last year. They're all pretty solid this year. So maybe next year is when we we'll start wondering are there going to be any leaps taken? Well, and and I guess this comes back to it's good to have people who are 
it's I don't know. It's been sort of a uh, a joke about the Giants that they keep coming up with these sort of back end starter prospects, but when those guys hit, they are pretty valuable. So you know, Sean Anderson is kind of coming up through the minors. He was he was like a shorter Sean Jelly. He's a guy who has a good mix, throws things for strikes, didn't miss a ton of bats, but you know he was really effective at going out there and eating up innings and getting people out, and he's still doing that in the majors. So that's that's a good thing. To me, Sean Jelly is kind of that sort of pitcher. I mean, he's not the guy who's going to be he's, – he, he's not Matt Cain. He's, he's not the guy who's coming to be their front of the rotation. But he is a guy who can come and be a useful part of a pitching staff. Yeah. And that's kind of most of those guys. Jake Wong is that way. Yeah. Uh, that, yep. that group is sort of that way. Interesting. Logan Webb, I think, could be more than that if things break right. But we'll have to see where that goes. All right, so the the system, the state of the system is it's not terrible, but it's still building. I think that's a fair fair way to look at it. It's on. So, um, it's a. Sunday. I would say so. I, you said it's a two person race. I really think with Bishop and Luciano, it's now kind of a four person race, which is good, and they have a group of teenagers at the very lowest level who are extremely exciting players and i've said this a few times in various places that it's going to be how successful the zaidi regime is ultimately going to be is going to be based in part on how much production they can get out of this this group of teenagers down the line because they do have some really exciting players that they need to turn into really good players Ooh, teenagers. It's going to be so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you love the fate of the world resting on a group of teenagers? <laughs> yeah. Well, when my scripted television, yes. <laughs> For my baseball team, no, because that's like four years from now where maybe we're talking about them possibly contributing two years later. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so okay. So that's that's the state of the system right now. It's just, it's, it's ongoing. It's a work in progress. Would you say it's, that... Was there anything really substantial to learn from the new regime uh, from the draft and sort of how the, you know, hiring Matt Daniels and reorganizing the, the moving players around and promoting and demoting? Uh, we didn't even talk about Chris Shaw. Not start, he started the year in double A and yeah. finally getting moved up. Um, but, you know, is there anything to be learned that's, that you feel is – permanent or is this just like it's all transition man we're just learning uh you know this i this has been a dizzying year at least on the transaction wire um i did think the draft was kind of fascinating the as we touched the the lack of pitchers the the run of left-handed hitters they they showed a few interesting things in that draft i think they showed they like tools they're not scared of anything um, in the Wyatt pick, I think they came back to showing that they, they like control the strike zone. I, I, I'm just sort of fascinated by their belief that they have a, a, a strong group of pitchers, which, you know, hopefully Daniels and, and the development people will do because this is cutting edge, cutting edge analytics these days is taking people and making them better. So that, I guess, is going to be the big thing to watch is do we see the way the Dodgers and the Yankees do – people suddenly starting to throw harder and get better at the lower levels. You know, that's, that's where the cutting edge of baseball is right now is taking guys and making them better. 
If only they could do that with bloggers. Uh, <laughs> yes, we could all you could all stand yes. that for sure. Roger, where's the so drive much. line for writing? That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like all around us. I want my readability answer. score to be five times higher tomorrow. Future value? What <laughs> zero? Oh, because it's an ephemeral blog. Sure. Uh, well, okay, great. Uh, we read. If you're not reading uh, minor lines. And the prospect roundup on the site every day. What are you doing? What is wrong with why, you? Why are you even listening to this? <laughs> uh, I don't get it. It's uh, so entertaining. <laughs> yes. And uh, it's consistent. It's quality. It's it's telling you something you didn't know. It's the games you're not watching. Someone's watching them for you, and they're breaking them down. It's great. And you can follow Roger on Twitter at ROG61. And he uh, will not... You don't respond to anybody, right? No one at you. <laughs> Ever, but no, never, never, never at me. <laughs> uh, Roger, thanks so much. We will come up with a name for the show that I am dragooning you into hosting. Um, we don't know what the name is, so put it will your be, suggestions. It will be clever, I'm sure. <laughs> it better be. Uh, otherwise, we'll just stop. Uh, so thanks, thanks for listening, and uh, check out the all the podcasts. There's now three podcasts on the McCovey Chronicles Podcast Network podcast channel. There we go. And uh, this is one of them, and we'll do it every couple of weeks or so. And uh, catch you up on everything you need to know you can sound smart in front of all your Giants friends and family members about the next wave of the good players. Which is still four or five years from now, right? right, (laughs) No, no, you can never see it coming. It happens fast. (laughs) That's right. All right, thanks for listening. Have a good day. (laughs) Thanks, Brian.